0: back today with part two of the conversation I had with Devin. We're going to pick right back up where we left off yesterday with that conversation on how to read the Bible. This is another bonus podcast of The Illuminated Word, how to read the Bible, read it for all it's worth, tools to equip you in your walk with Christ. So here's part two of the conversation we started with Devin yesterday. Hope you enjoy. And people, I don't think enough about that. They don't think about the consistency of the message. I mean, this is not a world where you've got Facebook and you've got mass communication. You only have newspapers. Right. So you've got people totally separated by geography in radically different places, speaking different languages. And they've got a similar message that, that does not contradict one another. Right. That to me is a really good sign of the veracity of of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And... Another thing people don't think about, we're always looking for some magic bullet, like how do I grow my faith? And the Bible gives us some simple answers. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, this is debatable, but some people believe that all reading in the ancient world was done out loud. Yeah. Um, the idea of reading, there's a word, I can't remember the technical word, but the idea of reading silently did not develop. Some say until the monasteries, until Christian monks developed the idea of, of reading silently because if you had a bunch of monks reading out loud, it got pretty distracting. Um, but in the ancient world, the more common practice was you read out loud. So as you're reading scripture, you're hearing scripture.
1: Right. I know that
0: sounds strange, but I've told people, call me a weirdo. It's a good practice to read the Bible out loud. Oh yeah. It's a good practice to hear people read the Bible. Get an audio Bible, listen to it. Because this is a great way to to build your faith. I may be kind of crazy there on that, but no, I, no I, don't,
1: I don't disagree at all. Sorry for the awkward pause there for a second, but I was thinking about what you said. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a weird but, comment. It's out. But, out but of left hand. Know, it,
1: I think it's really important. I think that's why it was so important, uh, you know, our Jewish lineage here is. In, in the synagogues, everything was read out loud. There was something. It wasn't, all right, guys, read these verses to yourself. It's, you no, we're going to spend a lot of time, and you're just going to listen to this guy. He's not going to give you a sermon. He's just going to quote scripture. He's going to read scripture word for word for, you know, longer than you and I would probably be comfortable with. Right. Uh, and it was beneficial because, you know, Jews knew their Old Testament laws. Uh, they knew what was in their Bible, and that's something we've kind of lost. I think at Westgate we do a pretty good job of, of of spending time and reading scripture out loud. I think that's one of the things I've loved about Westgate so far, but I wonder, I hope, and I wonder if we're doing that in our personal lives as well, making sure we are hearing God's word. often.
0: That's a really good point. I mean, my druthers would be, I'll show my cards here on this one, but my druthers would be in our services. If we had a reading for every part of the Bible at every service. Yeah. I know we got, I know we have a reading for the sermon, but I would love to have an old Testament reading you know, a a psalm and a New Testament reading, you know, pretty Mm -hmm. much every service. So if our sermon was going to be from the Old Testament, we'd have a New Testament reading. But I I love the psalms because that's the church's songbook. I know, once again, I'm off the beaten path here, but um, it just triggered a a thought that I I love the idea of public reading of Scripture in our services. Um, More traditional churches do a really good job of that. Um, You know, we can criticize people we may not agree with, theologically, but you can say in a lot of their services, they read a lot more scripture than we do uh, out loud. Yeah.
1: And for people that might oppose that or recoil at the thought of more scripture being read, um, seriously ask yourself the question, do you believe in the power of God's word? Yeah, Because if you believe in the power of God's word, you definitely believe in the power of God's word spoken. Amen. Uh, God's word can do a lot when it's silent. You know, God will still work there but imagine when God's word is being spoken in, in the presence of the community that's gathered. Um, that, that's a powerful thought to me. It, I truly believe in the power of God's word. I believe that it's, when it's verbalized, when it is allowed, that there is a certain uh, power to
0: it. It, it. One day, maybe we've, we've had, if we have time in another video, I would like to chase a rabbit because <clears throat> I have a theory based on some research I did in, in my master's thesis about the place of the word in the service, and it, it actually tracks with Leviticus. This is a weird point, but how the, the word acts is the knife that cuts. If you go back in the Old Testament, the animal would be cut up and offered to God, the whole burnt, the olah offering, the whole burnt offering to God. You would cut the animal up with a knife. And I just find it fascinating that the book of Hebrews calls the word of God a knife. So then the, the, the word comes in and exposes you for who you are and you offer yourself up as a living sacrifice before the Lord in the, yeah. in the liturgy of the church. And you come to the Lord's table to celebrate fellowship with God, um, the fellowship offering. So there's a, once again, I'm, I'm going off, but this is why the old Testament is so important because these images and these shadows and tops come flooding into the new Testament and they make more sense. Mm-hmm. of places like the book of Hebrews, like what the Hebrew writer is talking about.
1: All right. I, I totally agree. Do you want to, for a couple of minute, minutes, just maybe run over what we're going to be doing? What is the Bible?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Because I know we've been talking a while and I've really enjoyed this. I hope everyone's enjoying it. Yeah. I am looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. But, um, you know, we've got 66 books, right? But but they're not all the same, right? I mean, they're they're very different. So as you look at this, 66 books, 39 old, 27 new. Um, what, Okay, Devin, I know you're a languages guy. You like biblical languages. I'm in a class right now in intensive in Hebrew that at times I curse my existence, uh, but it is beneficial. Uh, why? Why does that matter, you think, languages?
1: Um, Well, it, it has something to do with the books that we have. We have books that are of different genre. Uh, so you'll know from Hebrew, Hebrew poetry is a lot different than Hebrew narrative. And knowing the language being used there, Hebrew specifically, and then you have parts of Daniel, it's Aramaic, I believe. There's, yeah. Is there any other Aramaic in the Old Testament? Uh,
0: there may be. I know Daniel's got some Aramaic, and there may, yeah. be, there may be more, which is cool. What, why do you think it's cool there's Aramaic in Daniel? Like what, why would that be a cool sidebar? Well,
1: it's a a spoken language, right? Yeah. It's a little bit different than our traditional, more scholarly Hebrew. Yeah. Aramaic's going to be like the the talk of the street. Like, uh, you know, Daniel's one of those books they're passing around on the street, you know, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and it's cool because they're picking this stuff up in Babylon. Yeah. You know, this this is a development in Babylon, so it makes sense. It being Daniel, it actually proves to me they're speaking this colloquial down-home Aramaic. In Babylon, where they're picking it up, and it just makes sense. Okay, this book was written in Babylonian captivity. It just yeah. verifies even more that yeah. Daniel is true.
1: Well, and it and, and even gets more so when you get, I don't know if more so, but um, because Greek is such a, at one point, was such a prolific language, so many people were using it. It went through so many stages of development uh, that we can trace. Um, Greek is such a deep language. And when you really know what an author is trying to say, you know, w- when, me and you read, a, a letter from a friend, we don't really pick apart the English, but they did that in the Greek. They paid attention to how certain words were used. They paid attention to the frequency of words and maybe the, and a point that was being emphasized through that. They paid attention to the verbal aspect, which I know is something people don't care about but it's something that I think is important to talk about when we get to it. Um, All of those things were involved in reading Greek and uh, we've lost that a little bit as time has moved on and we've moved away from the importance of language. But with Greek, that language was important. The way you read it was important and you had to pay attention. And When me and you read our English translations, we miss a lot of what the Greek has for us. And for me, I think there is a purpose in God revealing Himself through Jesus in a time where Greek was the language. Because I think God was able to do some special things with the Greek language that could not have been done at any, any other point. Not to just mention the history, the historical context that was going on at, in the time uh, that this is being written. The fact that Alexander the Great could come along and have the Greek language spread as far as it did that allowed the gospel to be shared the way it was. There are so many cool, intricate things about the Greek language that I think when you really take some time to dig into, the Bible becomes alive. The word of God lives. Um,
0: And and the thing is,
1: I know that everybody doesn't want to study the language, and that's okay. I think it's important that some of us do, and some of us can relate that message to others. But um, I think we all need to try to have this appreciation for, the language that God originally delivered his message in.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, in Koine Greek, the common Greek that the New Testament is found in is dead, so it right. can't change. You think right. how English has changed over the years? We have got a language for the New Testament that's frozen in time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not going to change, and that is a cool fact. So as Devin mentioned, there's three languages Hebrew for the Old Testament. Parts of the Old Testament are in Aramaic. There are a few words in the New Testament that are transliterated into Aramaic. Uh, Lama, lama, labachthanah, that's an Aramaic phrase. Um, Rabona, I think, is Aramaic. Uh, Talitha kumah, that's that's an Aramaic phrase. So you've got a few Aramaic phrases left in the New Testament. So Old Testament predominantly Hebrew, few places of Aramaic, New Testament, pretty much all Greek. And so you've got this array of authors spread out over time and space, different occupations, different walks of life, a magnificent book. And so I'm looking forward to this study. Uh, We just want to kind of give a basic introduction today to whet your appetite, get you excited. Hopefully we did that. Hope we didn't run you off. Um, And we're looking ahead. I'm gonna scroll down. I don't want to make everybody uh, sick as we scroll, but I'm gonna scroll down and we're gonna see next video next week we're gonna come and take on authorial intent. What did the author intend? The meaning was to a certain audience. Um, and then context is important. I'm sure we'll talk about contextualization. How does that apply to our time? But I'm excited. Devin, are Thank you fired you. up, man?
1: Oh, I am. I love this concept, you know.
0: Oh, I know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy question for you. I know you're excited. Now, I'm so thankful to Devin for coming up with this idea for developing these topics. Um, his passion is going to come through in these videos and I'm just excited we can spend this time together um, and make the most of the time God's given us as we're kind of doing this social distancing and uh, using our gifts and talents to bless the church. And I guess, Devin, you got anything to say in closing before we close it out and No,
1: thanks, Chris. I appreciate you doing the study with me. And I think thankful for anyone that's watching or will watch or will share the video with others that hopefully, you know, people that want to know how to study the Bible. And uh, you can share the series with them and y'all can talk about it. This could be a really good talking point for you and and people, you know. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see you soon. All right. God bless, Devin. Thank you, brother. See y'all.